How have you found faith, and how has it helped you let go of fear? Welcome to episode 384 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Janice, Mary, Anne, Esther, Fiona, Shiwei, and Carolyn. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Janice, Mary, Anne, Esther, Fiona, Shiwei, and Carolyn for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me today is Kathy. Welcome back to The Recovery Show, Kathy. Thanks, Spencer. Happy to be here. You picked some readings, and we're going to open with at least one of them. What is it? It is Courage to Change from September 8th, page 252. Is there anything that stands in the way of my trusting in a higher power? What obstacles block me from turning over my will and my life to God? In my case, the answer is obvious. I want guarantees. I hold out thinking that I'll come up with a new solution to my problems, even though I've tried and failed again and again. The risk of faith seems so great. If I turn a situation over, I won't be in control. I can't be sure I'll get my way. Yet, I want recovery. If I continue to do what I've always done, I will continue to get what I've always gotten. I want the benefits that this spiritual program has to offer. Therefore, I must take the risk and let go and let God. Maybe faith will bring me the results I seek. Maybe not. Although there are no guarantees, the benefits of building a strong relationship with a higher power can help me to grow confident, strong, and capable of coping with whatever comes to pass long after this particular crisis has been resolved. Today's reminder. Today I will make contribution to my spiritual development. I will try to identify the obstacles that block my faith. And the quote is, understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand that thou mayest believe, but believe that thou mayest understand from Aurelius Augustinus. What does this reading say to you? This reading really speaks to the beginning of my program. That's where I was. When I walked in the room, I did not like the fact that G-O-D, the word G-O-D was in writing and that people were using it. It made me uncomfortable, very uncomfortable, actually. And it took me a long time to understand and buy into the idea that my higher power has a plan for me and that it's a sign of strength for me to lean into that. That took years. And it was, you know, baby steps along the way, right? Going through steps two and three, and I did them, but I don't know necessarily that I I acted as if. It's the best I could do at the time. So it just took me years to get to the point where I was willing to have trust. And I can really relate to that line in the reading, I must take the risk and let go and let God, because absolutely, it was a risk for me for a long time. And in the next paragraph, it says, although there are no guarantees... The benefits of building a strong relationship with a higher power can help me grow confident, strong, and capable of coping with whatever comes to pass. I think that's 
for me, one of the things that was key to living with alcoholism at the beginning, living with my adult children later in life, which is understanding that whatever outcome occurs may not be the one that I want, and that particularly when other people are involved, I don't have the power to force the outcome that I want. And in fact, that might not be the best outcome. There might be an outcome that is beyond what I can see. And that's where the power of giving the outcome over to a power greater than myself, after I've done what I can reasonably do, to change the things I can, as the serenity prayer has it. That came pretty early for me in my Al-Anon time. I almost said career, but I don't know if that's quite the right <laughs> word. Because I had to let go of the fact that my wife was still drinking. I had to let go of all of the things I had been trying to do to get her to stop. What really put the nail in that coffin or whatever that metaphor is, was when I forced her back into treatment after a relapse and she drank the day she came out after a month in a residential treatment program. That just made it very clear to me that I did not have that power and that trying to exert that power was only hurting both of us, really. In that case, it minimally it hurt us financially because a month's worth of residential treatment is not cheap. So having faith that she might found long-term recovery on her own, having faith that she had a higher power that was taking care of her, was the only way I could survive. So that, that sentence... Both of these sentences, taking the risk that if I stop trying to fix her, that her higher power will take care of her and that the outcome would be whatever it was, but hopefully, you know, she would eventually find recovery, which she did. But it took a couple more years for her to find it on her own. And that was... 17 years ago, almost. Yeah. But it, at the time, it was a risk. It was stepping out into the darkness or off the edge of the cliff to say, I can't do it. You do what you can, God, because I can't. Yeah. But without program. Oh, I couldn't have done it. That's a, right. That's a tool from, yeah, it would have been like a mental breakdown, maybe, or just trying to continue to control things that were uncontrollable. Do we want to go into another one of the readings here? Sure. So the next one I have is from the book One Day at a Time in Al-Anon, and it's from September 4th on page 248. Some of us, after long enduring misfortunes we didn't know how to cope with, reached a breaking point. I think we were just talking about that. <laughs> yeah. In our hopelessness, we even felt rejected by God. So we never thought of turning to him for help. A wonderful thing about Al-Anon is that we are encouraged to renew our faith in a power greater than ourselves. We may have thought we were beaten, but we had merely forgotten that God has given us the strength and the means to hold up our heads and live. 
we learn once more to identify ourselves with the divine principle that rules us all. Today's reminder, the sure knowledge that God is always with me and expresses himself through me will guide me in every difficulty. This is the source of confidence and strength that will help me to face life in an entirely new way. His help will make possible a wholesome detachment from the problems that do not belong to me. And the quote is, let me add a spiritual dimension to my life. Then I will never be alone in dealing with whatever troubles may appear. I love this reading. It sounds like this reading also mirrors some of your experience. It does. Yeah, I was definitely beaten down when I first came into the rooms and I had so much fear and confusion about pretty much everything in my life. Everything was based around fear. For those of you listening, if you're interested in hearing my story and my my background, it's in episode 356 of The Recovery Show. And you can also hear about my fears and defects. (laughs) So funny to say in episode 362 about avoidance. The today's reminder to me is the most powerful part of this reading that, that speaks to me. The sure knowledge that God is always with me and expresses himself through me will guide me in every difficulty. This is the source of confidence and strength that will help me to face life in an entirely new way. In the last six months or so, I think I've really embraced this concept. It took me that long, really, to get to this point. It's my journey, right? It is what it is. And I've really gotten to the point where I've leaned in to my higher powers plans for me and just really let it go to get there. I prayed a lot for humility around steps five and six. And that helped me accept the idea of my higher powers plan for me. And as my sponsor likes to say, my higher powers plan is likely better than my own plan for me. If I can just let go, I've gotten to the point where I don't pray for outcomes anymore. You know, I don't pray for a pony. I don't pray for help me get this promotion. Help me make this house that I want to buy happen. I just say, help me and help me follow your plan for me. And just let it go at that because it is what it is. Because I can try to control it, but I'm probably limiting the, the potential if I try to control it. Yeah. When I think about my experience with higher power, I realize that I often don't consciously, intentionally put troubles into God's hands. I don't say, here, take this. Sometimes I do. But mostly, what I realized when I started thinking about it is, I just do it. Letting go of the things that I can't control into the hands of my higher power, into the hands of God, has just become the way in which... I live in this world mostly. I hadn't really realized that until we just started talking today. Because I was like, I don't say, here, God, take this. But on the other hand, when I compare the way in which I handle situations to the way in which, say, one of my adult children handles situations, I see such a stark difference in our need or lack of need, in my case, to really control an outcome, to really try to force an outcome. Thank you for bringing that in, because I don't read the ODAT that often. It's a little bit older terminology, phrasing, and so I don't know when the last time I read this particular page is. The divine principle that rules us all, that is not language that 
I would use. I might say the spirit of the universe or something like that. And so this is an example for me of how certain words, certain phrases still get in my way of accepting the wisdom that is expressed. So yay. Thanks for the reading. <laughs> sure. You bet. I feel the same actually. And it's funny. My sponsor is, I don't know if she would agree with the phrasing, but my interpretation is she's more formal in the prayers. She's more accepting of the words like divine principle or whatever. Like she'll suggest prayers to me that mm-hmm. sound very thou and thou and very formal and old fashioned. And my gut instinct is just to push. I don't like that. I'm not saying that. But but I've realized that I can just rephrase it, like you just said, to whatever. I can take the message that she's trying to convey to me in that prayer, and I can rewrite it in words that I like. And it's still the same thing because it's my higher power is my version of my own spiritual universe thing. And it's not hers. So she's guiding me. She's my coach. So I can do it however I want to. Yeah. We first talked about doing this episode, the word fear was in there, fear versus faith or something. And what you said to me before we started recording is that as you wrote it out, it's really turning out for you to be more about faith and less about fear. But it sounds like fear is still the way that you came in. Am I getting that? Yes, I had so much fear. Yes, fear was everywhere. I was scared of everything. And as I dug through especially in my step four in inventory and fear was everywhere. So how has it changed for you? So now as things evolve, as life happens, a life's in session, when things come up and now I've learned through the program, I'm more in tune with my feelings. I'm more in tune with what my body is telling me. I used to be very disconnected from my feelings as a way to protect myself. But now I pay attention as my stomach tightening up, something's going, what's going on, what feeling is associated with that. And so when I notice fear, then I can pause and look at what the source of that fear is and think about, is it false evidence appearing real? And what choices do I have? And I've gotten to the point where I feel like I can choose to, like, we have that, the saying of our suffering is optional. I can make the choice to suffer. (laughs) That's always a choice. But the nice thing is it's me. And I came in feeling like everything was out of control. And I'm at the point in my program where I feel like as long as I know where I end, I have so much control over my own life. I can make choices every moment. It's super powerful when I compare how I felt when I walked in. So when I'm at that point where I'm feeling fear, to me, I'm at a fork in the road and I have a conscious choice to make. I can choose faith or I can choose to fear, to suffer and be in fear. And I'm not saying that I do it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but every moment is a different choice. I've had a few things happen just a few months ago that led to me doing a lead on this subject and led to us being here talking about it. And really some scary things that happened. And I was able to see that fork in the road and I was able to lean into faith and stay in faith through the whole experiences of the stuff that I was going through. It was really powerful to me. It was amazing that I still had kept my serenity through this total emergency and crisis. I want to go back a little bit. You talked about gut feeling. And I recently was listening to, I believe it was on being podcast slash radio show. The guest was talking about this sort of body mind connection 
and about actually some of the anatomy of that. And there's this nerve that you probably heard of called the vagus nerve, which basically connects all of your guts like directly into your brain. Hmm. Vagus means wandering because it goes lots of places. And that there's real evidence that you feel something in your gut, that your gut is actually acting in this way as sort of part of your brain is what she was saying. That was really interesting. And it really brought new meaning for me to that phrase, gut feeling. You had, I think, some other examples of where you've been leaning into faith. So one thing that happened a few months ago, I worked from home with COVID, and hopefully I will never have to go back in the office often ever again. (laughs) 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 Not going to win. It's my plan. Maybe not my higher powers plan, but that's my plan. (laughs) Maybe not your employer's plan either. Well, they're being really flexible about it at the moment, which Mm -hmm. is nice. I work in technology, so thankfully it makes the whole thing easier. And so... I was in a meeting with a group of people. The client was there and it was a moderately stressful meeting, not anything huge, but you could definitely hear the annoyance in one person's voice. Then the call ended and all of a sudden I felt this wave of dizziness and then my heart started racing. Mm. And yeah, when I say racing, I mean racing. Okay. (laughs) Pause. Yeah, not going away. Okay, what's the next indicated step? So I need to ask for help. So I like dialed up this virtual doctor close to an urgent care that I have. And they quickly answered and I told them what was going on. And they said, you need to come in now. (laughs) At the time I was living in a two-story house and thankfully my purse with my keys was nearby. And my daughter, my teenage daughter was taking a nap upstairs. I'm like, I'm not going to go up the stairs when my heart's already racing. That's not a good idea. And what am I going to say to her? So I'm just like, okay, my program totally kicked in one moment at a time. I'm going to take my purse and put on my shoes and wear my wonky clothes that I'm <laughs> that you can wear in these days in business meetings <laughs> on Zoom and go in. And so I did. I drove there. I made it. And my heart settled down a little bit, but once I got there, it started beating again fast. And they called the paramedics and they put, took me on a stretcher. And I was, I am a healthy person. I'm also 57. So obviously not going to live forever. At some point, my body's going to start like needing more help. But I was in an ambulance and went to the emergency room and. For a long time, they couldn't even, I guess my heart rate was like 200, 200 beats per minute. That's pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. They couldn't even get a blood pressure because it was too fast. There was no low. I was in the hospital and the emergency room for several hours. And and with COVID, they wouldn't let anybody else in there. My program kicked in. So I'm in the waiting room. And okay, so then I need to ask for help. I need to let people know what's going on. So once I got in the waiting room... I texted my group of friends that are close to my daughter, let them know what's going on so that they're aware. And at some point, somebody needs to go say something to my daughter, but I don't know what's going to happen yet. I'm still in the urgent care. And I texted my sponsor just to let her know. And immediately, what do you need? We can help. Like everyone wants to help, which is great. I have this network. So a friend of mine went, did go eventually wake up my daughter and took her to, to their house and all those logistics were worked out. So obviously, yeah, that's a scary thing. Who knows? Am I having a heart attack? Am I going to be alive? I could totally go down that path because it was right in my face. (laughs) My body was not happy. But 
many times through that whole process, I could feel the fear start to creep up. Yeah. That's not going to help me. I just need to trust in my higher power and just lean into faith. And so I just kept seeing that fork in the road. I'm leaning into faith. I'm leaning into faith. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to, it is what it is. Clearly I am powerless. Talk about powerless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There it is. Mm I probably never felt so powerless in my life, but it wasn't, it just was what it was. If it's my time, it's my time. If it's not, freaking out is only going to be bad. So I just stayed in faith the whole time. And there were some wacky things that happened through that whole process. Even once they got me into the, into the ER, they're all running around and doing their x-rays and whatever. And they injected this liquid that like, I guess, my heart was like beating in a weird pattern and they had to get it back mm-hmm. and get it back to normal. And they mm-hmm. injected this thing that I felt like there was such pressure in my whole body, like from whatever they injected. And it basically pushed, pushed the heart to beat the other way at the end. It worked, thankfully. Yeah. And then a nurse said to me, so how's it feel to have your heart stop beating? I was like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean it stopped? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, what? So I asked the doctor some questions. There was many opportunities that I had through that whole experience to go down the path where fear was like calling my name many times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the whole, you know, for hours sitting there in the ER, I was in faith and I just stayed, I stayed in faith. The whole time, I pretty much had serenity the whole time. I kept my sense of humor and like just let it go and knew that I had a network around me and that I had done what I could and the rest was enough to me. And it's just super, such a powerful example. I heard an interesting description of fear recently. It's hoping for the thing that we don't want to happen. And I was like... I could see that. Well, I've sometimes called catastrophizing or awfulizing. What's the worst possible outcome I can think of? And I can think of a lot usually. And then I spend time focusing on that. I don't know that I quite agree with the phrase hoping for, but I am spending time living in it, living in that thing that I don't want to have happen. So that's interesting. But, you know, it's pretty scary when you go to the urgent care and they're like, oh, you need to go to the ER. Wait. (laughs) Oh, this is worse than I thought it was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I want to go back to what you were just saying. So I heard something on the recovery show about, and it's one of my favorite all-time phrases. I think it may have been a person who called in with it, but it's recognize that resentment is the addictive state that it is. Hmm. recognize resentment for the addictive state that it is. I was just like, what in the world? So powerful. So it's like my childhood pattern brain feels more comfortable in being in fear and obsessing and being resentful. And it's just that old, you know, so many things to worry about and what's my plan A through Z to get out of it. But it's really, it's so insightful to think about or maybe not insightful, but so helpful and interesting to think about how that's another addictive state that my brain can be in from this family disease. It kind of is. Like, I, maybe that's what they mean, like the hope, hoping for a better future. It's like, 
that it's being in that, popping back into that childhood pattern of addiction through worrying about fear or resenting people or whatever the obsession of the moment can be. Yeah. So how does that experience contrast with old behavior and fear? So in the past, when I was scared, I definitely, I'm a fighter. So in that fight or flight, I would fight because I had so much fear. I was always in that fight mode, whether or not I was stating it or where people could see it in me or not. I was always prepared for the fight. And that's a really interesting question because that brings me to probably telling from my childhood patterns. But one of my favorite jobs was I worked at a startup for for three years. And this was after 10 years working at a very large company that was so slow moving. And this will make sense in just a second. And I used to play Limp Biscuit, that Limp Biscuit song where it's, I'm going to punch you in the face <laughs> on my way to work to get me in the mode of not accepting anything from anyone. It was a very, very passionate environment. It was really fun for me. I had a lot of fun, but I think that just fed my addiction as, and I really hadn't thought of it, about it like that until sitting here saying it out loud. But yeah, but here I am now. And here so. you are. How did you, <laughs> so you had said, uh, you agreed with me about coming into Al-Anon without an existing faith in God and an existing faith in a higher power. You want to talk about how that changed? I knew that I was desperate enough when I walked into the rooms. My life was a mess and my daughter was, I was soon to learn that she was suicidal. I hadn't realized that yet, but I was a mess and my life was a mess. And I wanted what the people in the rooms had when I walked in. My sponsor was in the first meeting that I went to. I didn't ask her to be my sponsor for six months, but I talked to her on and off along with other people before then. And I just decided okay, I'm just going to act as if I want what they have. So I'm going to do what they do. When I did steps two and three, I had more willingness than I did when I walked in. But I wouldn't say I ha- I embraced it. It's, I can only do what I can do. So like just one moment at a time, just act as if and do my best. Steps four and five really helped me get to the point of accepting a higher power. And actually, there was one thing that happened that really helped me accept a higher power. There was something that happened and I was really frustrated about it. And I decided that I wanted to blame a person for most of the things that happened in my marriage that were like a result of me accepting unacceptable behavior and like just continually spinning out of control. Mm -hmm. And I talked to my sponsor about it and I wasn't screaming at her or anything, but I felt a lot of anger. (laughs) And all those negative emotions wrapped up. I was frustrated. I had found someone to blame. And she wasn't on board with my plan, <laughs> my sponsor, <laughs> of blaming this. But I basically wanted to call her out on it. And I justified it by, in her role, she should understand the impact that she had so that she cannot do it to other people, body blah, blah. But my sponsor said at the end of the discussion, you have to go through the fire to get to the other side. And I was just like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then 
that phrase kept popping up. I turned on the radio and it was on there. I went to church and they, the pastor said it. I heard it several times in these random ways over the next week. And finally, I was just like, okay, higher power. <laughs> I guess you're there. Okay, I get it. I need to let that go. Clearly, I should not talk to that person. I just need, okay, like, and push me into the next phase of belief in a higher power and really the next phase of trusting my sponsor. You know, clearly, like, that's another sign of my bad thinking that I need to just slowly understand how to unwind. I feel like this might be a good time to bring in the next reading. Sure. The reading is one day at a time, March 14th on page 74. Even those of us who have no particular religious faith or who have lost faith we once had may reach such extremities that we cry out in desperation for help. We pray involuntarily. We pray to something, some unknown power to relieve us of our unbearable burdens. Before I found Al-Anon in my confusion and despair, I asked for help in this way. But the next moment I would begin to worry again about what was going to happen next. If we do finally ask for God's help, we must do so with absolute confidence. It is fruitless to take back into our own hands the problem which our powerlessness forced us to turn over to him. Today's reminder, we are imprisoned by our own inability or unwillingness to reach out for help to a power greater than ourselves. I will set myself free from the prison of self-will and pride which I myself have built. I will accept freedom. That's so powerful. I will set myself free from the prison of self-will and pride, which I myself have built. So true for me. So true. Uh, And then the quote is, with the help of my God, I shall leap over the wall from the book of common prayer. This one really speaks to me. And the word desperation here in a number of particularly step one meetings, but not always talking about the gift of desperation that finally brought me to the program. I was listening to, I think it was an AA podcast, and the guy took that phrase, gift of desperation, and made it G-O-D. And he was talking about when Bill Wilson was in the hospital for the however much time, nth time, and he cried out, please help me. I don't know if those were the exact words. And that's when he had his, his what sometimes referred to as his white light experience, his spiritual awakening. This guy said he didn't have exactly that experience, but he also was at a point where he just was so desperate. He had that gift of desperation that he reached out and that was the turning point for him. That was his bottom. And I thought, oh, there's another one. I've heard gang of drunks, good orderly direction, but gift of desperation as another name for my higher power. Because, yeah, it was not my will that got me here. I recognize that now. I thought I was doing what I wanted to do, but I don't think so. I think I finally heard the message and decided to follow it. So yeah, that God word was a little bit of a blocker for me, but I managed to own it because God as I understand God means I don't have to take somebody else's conception. I don't have to have that forced on me. I can understand God in my own way, and part of that is that 
I don't understand. Whatever God is, is so much bigger than me. There's no way I can understand it. <laughs> the, the phrase God of my understanding, which was my way in, turns out to be like impossible or something. I don't know. I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but I just wanted. How else are you leaning into faith in your life? I've come to accept that when I keep the focus on me, there's truly so much that I have to control over my own life. And the thing for me that puts it into hyperdrive is that spiritual aspect of asking my higher power for help and having the humility to not ask for consequences, but to accept my higher power's path, which probably is better than my own idea. You've got a couple more examples here. COVID happened right before my daughter turned 16. And she and her friends are all the same age. She has a group of really close friends. And they all turned 16 when COVID hit and there was no birthday party because nobody knew what the heck was going on. Then she turned 17 and COVID was still around and she recently turned 18. And I've been scared of COVID. I've been especially scared of long COVID. And I've had discussions with my sponsor. She's mentioned to me many times, she feels like I'm living my life in fear. And I'm like, okay, but we're in a pandemic. It's not made up. It really is. A lot of people are dying, like more than all these wars. And that long COVID though, like I figured, okay, I'm probably healthy enough and I've got the vaccine. So I'm probably not going to die, but I can't protect myself from long COVID. And it's just this random thing. And I am reading about it and I'm not making it up. And I know that there's so much that scientists don't know about COVID mm. and I get that too. And so I feel confident in my fear, like that one, I don't feel is false evidence appearing real. I feel I just need to make a choice to protect myself and figure out where my comfort level is. But it got to the point where it's like, all right, it is what it is. There's consequences to every choice. And after two years, and there's consequences to the choice of living in a hole as well. And isolating, as we all know, that's not good. So we decided to go to Disneyland. We live in California. And so my daughter and I went to Disneyland and we invited this group of friends that she had and their parents went. It was really fun. We had a great time. We like all stayed together. One of my friends has a timeshare. So we stayed there. And then my daughter and I got a hotel room for a few nights after that. We had a great time. It was really, it was just a really nice celebration. And my daughter has always loved Disneyland. It's like totally a thing for her. So it was really nice to be there and to, to find joy. Joy is so important in our program too. I was more cautious than anyone else in, in the group that I was in. I wore my mask more often than anyone else. And I'm the only one who got COVID <laughs> out of my group. <laughs> my daughter got sick at the end. And I was pretty sure she had COVID because she she was very sick and she had most of the symptoms and had her get tested as we were driving home. And But her test came out negative and I took her to urgent care after a few days. And that doctor said to me, you might want to test yourself. It's like, okay. And I did. And I it was positive. I couldn't believe it. It's like I wanted to being on the, like, what? <laughs> I felt like I got shot into an alternate universe or something like, what in the world? It's positive. And that was just another example of, okay, just like my heart, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it now. I mean, I can't change the past. And it didn't make me rethink my choice of going to Disneyland. Yeah. And I knew that there's, of course, I knew that there is the risk that I could get it or other people could get it and it is what it is. So thankfully, I, I didn't have that series of symptoms. I was able to work through the whole thing and I didn't get long COVID. And through that process, 
it was just very much, okay, I'm in acceptance. And mm-hmm. same thing. I was truly scared of long COVID before I got sick. And one of my fears is like financial instability. And it just sends me down the rabbit hole. If I get long COVID, then like people's brains start working. Like they get brain fog. I can't work. If I have brain fog, I need my brain. That means I'm going to go on disability. How am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to like not a good plan? But I didn't do any of that when I was sick. I just accepted. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's my higher powers plan and I'm letting it go. Same thing. I was in serenity. I did it even when I was sick. So the fear ahead of time was, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, but you had this fear ahead of time. And then when the event actually came, the fear wasn't there. Right. The fear was unfounded. Yeah. Because it didn't happen. Yeah. But even if it did... And one of the things that I have come to see is that things often don't work out the way that I thought they should. But so far, at least, I've always been okay. I might have been not happy that the things didn't go the way I wanted to, but I've been okay. And this has been true many times throughout my life. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but I can take it back at least to when I was 21, 22, 23 years old, and some things happened then, and I was like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. But it wasn't. And in fact, because of that, then something else happened that was good, maybe better than where I would have been. It's just, you don't know. I guess the prime example is marrying somebody who unbeknownst to me and unbeknownst I think to her at the time was an alcoholic and I have gotten asked that question like if you had the choice to do it over again would you do it differently and I have to say I don't think I would because what came from that so much good came from that and yeah there was this hard stuff in there but you know I have two children that I love dearly and I found al you know, I like the person I am a whole lot more now because I found al and I was forced to work the al program. I have great gratitude for the fact that her alcoholism brought me here. I don't think I can say I'm grateful for her alcoholism, but I'm grateful that it brought me here. So if I hadn't married an alcoholic, although who knows with my track record, I might have anyway, just a different one. I always picked people who turns out from my opinion, I needed to help them, right? So you know, there's a pattern. So I've been okay. I've always been okay. There was some pain. There was some sadness. There was some anger along the way. But I've always been okay in in the outcome. COVID came and here we are with COVID again. Everything shut down, at least both the state I was in at the time and the state that I was living in shut down during the weekend when I was visiting my parents because we siblings had decided that it was time for my father to go on hospice. He had been admitted to the hospital. He had totally collapsed mentally. They said, we think it's time for him to go home on on palliative care. We can't really do anything for him in the state that he's in. That was one of those, oh my God moments. So I hopped in the car. I drove 
450 miles to New York State to be there. And the, the hospice came and they set us up for him. And, and then the whole outside world went nuts. Everything shut down. I was driving back through Ohio like it was so empty. It was amazing. The highway was empty. The rest stops were, well, I tried not to stop as much as I could. But he actually, he got better. He didn't die for another year. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of my parents getting sicker and dying, there was a lot to be grateful for. And I was okay through it. And I know a lot of that was because I had the support of a higher power that I found in this program. I really didn't have fear about them dying. I, I knew it was going to happen. I didn't really want it to happen. But <laughs> it's, it, yeah, I don't know. That's what this, this brought up for me a little bit. And that even these big, bad things... I'm okay. And that is faith. Like a faith that right. I will be okay. And I feel like it's going through those experiences and realizing that you were okay that gives, right. at least going through those mm -hmm. for me, gives me the confidence that I'm mm -hmm. going to go be okay in the future. So I can mm -hmm. let go of the freaking out because I can recognize that it's not a healthy choice and just take it one step at a time. Yeah, exactly. So this was a total higher power moment. An Al-Anon friend sent me a quote, and let me just read it. So she sent me this quote that says, own it. This life is yours. Take the power to choose what you want to do and do it well. Take the power to love what you want in life and love it honestly. Take the power to walk in the forest and be a part of nature. Take the power to control your own life. No one else can do it for you. Take the power to make your life happy which is a cool quote. So then we were unpacking it, as you like yeah. to say. And what she said was, she's relatively new in the program. What she said was, it's so overwhelming when I don't know who I am. How do I choose what I want? It's such a big choice. That's all about higher power, right? Mm -hmm. So if you feel <laughs> like you're alone and you, if I feel like I'm all alone and I have to choose, then how do I do that? It is overwhelming and it's like too much. It's too big. So the strength of trusting in our higher power is that we don't have to know all the answers right away. And that's faith, right? Mm -hmm. For me, once I could get to the point where like accepting that there is a higher power and it's not a scary thing and I'm just going to try it. And then a little bit more trust and a little bit more trust. And now it's like just okay, I'm just going to lean into it. And it really works for me. And then just taking things one step at a time and using my higher power for help to help me see which indicated next step is following my higher powers path. So when I see a choice, I will stop, I will pause and I will do a little prayer. Higher power, universe, God, that's what I call it. Help me, help me see what the best next step is to follow your plan for me. And that's what I do. Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to unpack that <laughs> because it brought up several things for me. First is when I don't know who I am. So a gift that this program gave to me is a much better understanding of who I am. All that hard work that I didn't want to do, the inventory and so on and so forth, helped me to know myself better and if i know myself better then i also probably know what i want better 
Take the power to choose what you want to do. If you don't know what you want to do, it's hard to do it. Take the power to love what you want in life and love it honestly. What do I want in life? Do I want a big house? Do I want two and a half children and a white picket fence, which was the stereotype when I was growing up, which admittedly was a half a century ago? No, what do I really want? And to some extent, I'm probably three quarters of the way through my allotted years, right? If I don't know what I want, and, and that changes, of course, too. But it is a big question for me. It is something that I need to take the time to discern. Because I'm looking at retiring in a year or two. And then what? What do I want to do when I'm not working at least half my waking hours, right? What is my life going to be when that's not happening? And my wife keeps telling me, maybe you want to talk to them about working part-time on a contract basis. And I'm really not sure that's what I want. I love what I do, but I'm also ready to be done with it. So this is the discernment that I'm going through and we'll see where it ends up. I didn't know I was going to want to make a podcast. Right. Um, but the word power in here, and again, yesterday, I was listening to this AA guy, and he was talking about that as an alcoholic, he had to accept his powerlessness. He had to admit his powerlessness and accept it. But then where is the power that he needs to actually recover? And that power comes from his higher power. That power comes from God. And that's what steps two and three were about for him accepting that God has that power and that it's available to him. And so when I see this power, like what power do I have to choose? Power to love, power to walk, power to control my own life. I think if we put the word faith on that, and I have, the, I have faith that I will have the power to do that. Or that the power to do that is available to me. It's a little bit different thing. I don't have it, but it's available. I can plug myself into that God battery, if you will. I feel like the program has let me figure out how to do this. And faith is one aspect of it, but it's also having boundaries and keeping the focus on myself and understanding what I do have the ability to control and that I have choices and that I really was handing over my power to others mm -hmm. because my definition of my own value came from outside me. And as I'm continuing to learn to point that back to myself, then that is taking my power because it needs to come from me and from my higher power, like not from anyone else. And it also reminds me of what you were saying about the power. It reminds me of the force versus power episode. So shout out to the Force versus Power episode, my favorite, probably my favorite episode ever on The Recovery Show. Thanks to Eric. Yeah, to both of you. Yeah, he came up with it, and then we ran with it. Do you want to close with this last reading? Sure. And I feel like this is not actually a book that I have. It's in the service manual, too. Okay. Yeah, the Grips at Work manual is an Al-Anon manual, like the service manual that's online. They're both online. And the service manual, you can actually download that for free. For free, right, exactly. 
In the meetings that I go to in California, understanding ourselves is something that's regularly read as, a, as an optional reading. Is that something that's true in the meetings that you go to? No, I have not seen this before. Wow. You know what? It's long, but maybe I should read the whole thing. It's super powerful. And how about understanding alcoholism? Is that a reading that's shared in your meeting? No. They're both really good. That's interesting that it's different in your state. I mean, there may be some meetings that use it, but sure. they're not ones that I've been to. Yeah. So this reading is from that section titled Understanding Ourselves. Yes. Uh, so this is just the last paragraph, but the whole reading is really good. The whole understanding ourselves. So the last paragraph goes, We may have been driven to Al-Anon by the effects of someone else's drinking. We soon come to know that our own thinking has to change before we can make a new and successful approach to living. It is in Al-Anon that we learn to deal with our obsession, our anxiety, our anger, our denial, and our feelings of guilt. It is through the fellowship that we ease our emotional burdens by sharing our experience, strength, and hope with others. Little by little, we come to realize at our meetings that much of our discomfort comes from our attitudes. We begin to change these attitudes and learn about our responsibilities to ourselves. We discover feelings of self-worth and love, and we grow spiritually. The emphasis begins to be lifted from the alcoholic and placed where we do have some power over our own lives. Yeah. As I think we've said about choice, choose to take care of ourselves. Choose how to see things, really. Putting those Allen on glasses on. Yeah. And choose faith over fear. Choose to lean into faith when these hard things come along. And I would say recognize that even if we don't initially make that choice, at any next moment, we can make the choice again. Yes. Excellent point. I have some closing thoughts. So choosing faith over fear led me to be able to have serenity even in the middle of an emergency or crisis. It gives me great comfort to know that I have a higher power to lean on. <laughs> and my loved ones have their own higher power, and I'm not it. My worries don't fix anything or anyone, including myself. So it's much better for everyone involved if I just let all that go. And the thing I love about this program is that I can discover tools that work for me that allow me to have serenity and peace. Every day, every moment, I have a choice. I can either use my tools or not. If I put the tools down, the next moment I can choose to, to pick them up again. My own serenity is up to me, which is the greatest example of self-care. I can give myself an I matter, I have value, and my serenity is worth making the effort to keep and protect. Mm -hmm. After a short break, we'll continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. I asked you to pick some music and what you got for us. So the first one I have is by Philip Phillips with Home. And to me, this song is about choices and asking my higher power for help instead of letting myself just sit in fear. And some of the lyrics go, settle down, it'll all be clear. Don't pay no mind to the demons, they fill you with fear. The trouble, it might drag you down. If you get lost, you can always be found. Just know you're not alone because I'm going to make this place your home. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery recently? Just this morning, we had our annual 
business meeting at the church that I'm a member of. And I was asked to be what they call the process moderator, which meant it was my job to time people when we were in comment period. They had a certain amount of time, and I'd be the person who'd step in and say, you're at time. This is the way the thing was described to me, okay? Or if during a question period somebody was just making a long, drawn-out statement rather than asking a question, I might gently come in and say, do you have a question or something? You know, I don't know exactly how I would say it because it turned out I didn't have to. I was asked to do this a week ago, kind of short notice. Like, wait, I've never done this for this purpose before. I don't really know what's entailed, so I need to think about it, which I was able to say. said, you know what, I need to think about this. I'm not ready to say yes right now, but I'm also not saying no program tool right there. And finally, Friday, the guy's like, well, come on, (laughs) are you going to do it or not? And I said, okay, I really still have some fear about whether I can play this role appropriately or not. But I said, yes, I will do it. I will challenge myself to do this. And so today comes and it was fine. I Nobody spoke over time. There were a couple of times when I spoke up to bring attention to something like somebody had said in the chat that I thought we might need to recognize that was said. And the one thing that somebody said in the chat that was hurtful and needed a response, our minister responded to that. And he's much better at that kind of thing than I am. So, yay. So, yeah, I leaned into the fear. I leaned into the faith that I could do this. And it went fine. Like I said, I was okay. And I actually got thanks from the organizer for doing it, even though I felt like I hardly did anything. But I was there. I think that's the point, right? I was there. And although I wasn't really needed for some of the things that I might have been needed for, I did step up. I did say yes. So I guess I can live with thanks for that. But again, as I've said many times over the years, that is not something I could have done before Eleanor. I just couldn't. I, either I would have said, oh yeah, I'll do it. And then had a big resentment about saying yes to something that I didn't think I could do. Or I would have said, oh no, I can't do that. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to show myself that actually it was okay. How about yourself? I've had an interesting transition in my meetings lately. Even though I had COVID, I'm still, I guess, way to say it is I'm respectful of COVID. And I don't mind online. I actually, there's a lot of advantages to being online. I'm online all the time. I'm comfortable with technology. Zoom meetings don't bother me. But my home meeting used to be before COVID 100% in person. And then with COVID, it went 100% online. And then we've, we decided as a, but in our group conscience to be a hybrid meeting. So we did online and in person for a period of time, maybe six months or something. And then the meeting made the decision to go permanently in person a few weeks ago. And I don't want to go in person. So I haven't been going to my home meeting. And that's another higher power thing. I can choose to have resentment about it, or I can choose to accept that's just a transition. And it means that it's time for me to check out other meetings. I've been going to that home meeting for a long time and I go to other meetings as well, but it is what it is. It's just another, it is what it is. Like it's just, it's time to change. So I've been looking at the WSO meetings and trying out different meetings. I'm still going, I have another meeting that I go to on Saturday mornings 
And that meeting actually also had some transitions, same dynamic of being in person and then being fully online. And then that meeting voted to stay online instead of going hybrid. And so about half the meeting or maybe more than half the meeting decided to to start their own in-person meeting separate from this one. So the meeting attendance was dropping down. At the most, we'd have maybe 12 people or something. And so we recently made the decision to go permanently online and to register with WSO as an online meeting. And just this last Saturday was our first official meeting, the like a WSO meeting. And we had someone from the East Coast. And I think there was maybe like five people that were scattered around that had attended. So it's an exciting time. It's like it's growth and change. And that format, we have on our meeting agenda for July, we have a plan to discuss the format and see if we need to change things based on being an online meeting. And it's a really good meeting. It's like a literature-based inspired meeting and it's an adventure. So it's exciting to see how it's going to evolve. One other thing that came up this week, I have this friend who I was really close with and she and her husband were friends with me and my ex for a lot of years. And my sponsor likes to talk about, or we've had many discussions about being aware of people who are toxic. And when someone shows you who they are and believe them. On my fourth step, part of what was on there was me to, I put myself in dangerous situations and accepted unacceptable behavior. And it wasn't just my ex, it was, I didn't have boundaries. So now it's part of my recovery is taking care of myself and self-care. And part of that is being aware of people who are toxic and making a choice of whether it's a conscious choice, right? It's another choice that I have. Who do I want to, who do I want to bring into my life or keep in my life or whatever? It's just having that awareness, right? I'm not certainly not saying that I want to chop everyone out of my life. I have a ton of people in my life that aren't in recovery and I love them. And being in recovery helps me have compassion for when they do go into dysfunction, I can just detach and not take it personally and just, and it is what it is. So this friend, I hadn't talked to her and her husband for quite a while. And I reached out and her husband let me know that they had separated. I reached out to her and we had a little bit of a falling out. I had boundaries and she didn't like it. And that was like when my daughter was experiencing her stuff. And Anyway, so long story, but so her husband was texting me. He's there recently separated. He's, would I feel comfortable chatting with him or meeting him just to talk? And I know he's toxic. He's probably an alcoholic. He definitely abused his wife. I saw it many times. And my childhood pattern is help them rescue, be the helper. And plus, I would like to rekindle the friendship this friendship with my friend, it's like on my eighth, eighth step list, if it works out or if it doesn't work out. So it is what it is. It's my higher powers plan on mine and whatever, but talking to her almost ex isn't helpful for that either. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I was able to pause the childhood pattern in my head and take my time in replying to him. And then just recognize that I don't need to do that. And it's a choice and I don't have to make that choice. So I decided to just let it go. And that kind of took some like recovery and action, like in all our affairs to me, just thinking through those steps. Right. Thank you. I have an upcoming topic sometime in July talking about worry about our loved ones and how to overcome that worry. So here's some thought questions. If you'd like to perhaps contribute to that episode, how have you been worried about a loved one's drinking, their actions, their health? How productive has that worry been? 
And what have you done to let go of that worry? We welcome your thoughts. You can join our conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions. And Kathy, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or email to feedback at the recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of leaning into faith or any other topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. If you would like advance notice for some of our topics so that you can contribute to that topic, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at the recovery.show. Put email in the subject line to make it easier to spot. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, that's our website, therecovery.show, where we have information about the show, which mostly these days is the notes for each episode, which include links to the books that we read from or talked about, videos for the music, and there are also some links to some other recovery podcasts and websites. And if you want to introduce somebody to The Recovery Show, an easy way to do that is to send them to the website at therecovery.show. The second song that I have is Higher Power by Coldplay. This song for me is a reminder of the joy in life when I choose to see it around me and surrender my obsessive thoughts and attempts at controlling things or people that I'm powerless over. Some of the lyrics are, sometimes I just can't take it and it isn't all right. I'm not going to make it. And I think my shoe's untied. I'm like a broken record. I'm like a broken record and I'm not playing. And then the next line is so funny. It's, I'm like a broken record, but it's spelled backwards. So I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but that's actually the lyrics in the song. And that's what he says in the song. And it's, it fits too, because it's spinning. It's really funny. Till you tell me on your heavenly phone to hold tight, you've got a higher power. You've got me singing every second, dancing any hour. What did you have to say to us at the show? Rose sent some rambling thoughts in her words. What a resource. At any moment, the impulse can strike to control and manage what is simply not my job. This training to stay in my own lane within my hula hoop is stress relieving in and of itself. To banish shame by exhuming secrets so to better be able to name whatever is going on without trying to control or manipulate, to live fearlessly, able to be closer to how we feel and the reality of a situation, to recognize when the story we tell ourselves about a situation is just that, a story, and to dig deeper to the truth. This podcast is truly a massive higher power for me and clearly countless others. I really admire and appreciate you, Spencer, and all who have joined you on your show with shares and co-hosting and guessing. You're a real mensch and doing an incredible mitzvah. Parentheses, yes, I'm Jewish. Thank you for your dedication and all the hard work you put in, both on yourself that you so generously share, and the technical stuff and time producing the recovery show. Kudos. Been listening to all the episodes from the beginning. The I'm Not God episode was very powerful. I feel that struggle, that ingrained impulse to want people to listen to my excellent advice. I suspect 
I may always have the impulse, just like an alcoholic will always wish to drink. I have faith that this might get easier over time, but that lifelong vigilance might be in order. Looking forward to living with and loving my new, less arrogant and presumptuous self. This also goes along with not having to fix anyone or tell them how to fix themselves, not playing God. The simple idea of not having to answer questions posed to us by others is one way to clearly practice this live and let live, a radical idea, a revelation really, and articulating these specific instances. A great burden is lifted if and when I can stay in my hula hoop, really thrilled to have these beautiful, bold, and very sensical boundaries at my disposal. Finally, Rose. Okay, so I'm looking up episodes here. The I'm Not God episode is number 93. Jen wrote, Hi, Spencer. I'm somewhat new to going to Al-Anon meetings, but that is not why I'm writing to you. Your podcasts have been a blessing. I found out about them about a month ago. I've been listening to them in reverse order, and I think I've listened to only about 20 episodes. I have a long way to go before I get down to the start of it all. I'll just say, maybe don't listen to the first four, but, you know, that's just sort of my ego talking. Jen continues, I take something away from every episode I've listened to so far. I know your show is a blessing to many, many people. I was wondering if you could carry that blessing to our younger generation. My children don't live with me, and they are not accustomed to dealing with all the fun stuff most of us have grown up with. I wasn't sure if there is a way to get a podcast going specifically for older kids and teens. I feel that it is important to give our kids the hope and encouragement that we have all come to know. They don't have a voice, and they don't know where to turn. Kids don't even know there is help out there. How could they? My kids don't live with me, so when I do see them, they tell me of all the horrible things they witness. I told my son, 13 years old, about your podcast, but I don't really think it is all that appropriate for someone so young. Kids need to hear from kids, and I don't really know anything about Alateen, not yet anyway. My daughter is 10 years old. They are both sort of lost, and I want to swoop in and help them. But I think it's a good idea to equip them with the tools they will need to deal with the things they have to experience. As a parent, all I can do is guide them and hope they make the right decision. I can't guide them if there isn't much out there to guide them to. The great thing about a podcast is they can listen and nobody has to know about it. Most kids are growing up in much the same way we did, in isolation. My kids are in emotional danger rather than physical danger. My son is a very angry kid and is also very eager to please people. My daughter is starting to show signs of a future addict. She lies and steals things. A lot of kids have their own cell phones, and they might be able to share a recovery podcast with their peers and their siblings. Imagine how many lives could change. Well, I'm excited about the prospect of it. Word of mouth is the best advertising. Look at how many people you have reached. Thank you for taking the time to read this. Happy Frogs, Jen. Well, happy Frogs back to you, Jen. I think it's a wonderful idea. I know that I don't have the time, nor, of course, the... uh generational perspective to create such a podcast. I will put the idea out to the universe in hopes that someone listening might pick it up. And if you're listening and you think this is a wonderful idea and you actually feel like maybe you could get it going, I'd be willing to consult on that. But I really can't do a whole other podcast myself when I'm already having trouble keeping this one on the schedule. I'd like to keep it on. Yeah. I also wrote to Jen, I said, if there's Alateen in your area, your kids would likely benefit from it. 
I noted that 10 might be too young. When my kids were preteens, I tried to take them to an Alateen meeting while we were on a trip, and the Alateen sponsor said they were too young for that meeting. And I didn't push it. My kids were perfectly happy to sit in the church hall, play on their Game Boys while I attended the al meeting in the next room. But the meeting they went to in my hometown, and they went only a few times before they decided they didn't like it. Anyway, that meeting had no problem with how old they were. So that varies from one place to another. And I just thought, I wonder if there are electronic Alateen meetings, and if so, how you would find out about them. There are electronic Alateen meetings. What does it say? Try an electronic Alateen meeting. In the Elanon Family Group's mobile app. Okay. I will put this link to this page about electronic Alateen meetings in the show notes. Because that's another way they can attend something without needing a ride, as long as they have a smartphone that they can download the Al-Anon app onto. So awesome. It lists five meetings that are at various different times of the day, mostly in the evening. Yeah, cool. Rose left us a voicemail. Hi, this is Rose. I have left some emails, but now I wanted to say that I thought of an image. I was listening to episode about finding recovery in fidelity. The discussion was about finding a higher power and what if you don't have a higher power. And I got this idea of being in a pool and having that leverage of pushing off of the side of the pool and just this idea of leverage and having a partnership and having someone, something besides ourselves to help us get out of ourselves. And that's it. Thanks. I adore all of you, this community and the show. It is quite the lifeline. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for that, Rose. Leverage pushing off the side of a pool as an image for higher power. You know, there's lots of different ways to think about how your higher power works, and I'll bet that's going to work for somebody else, too. So thanks. Eric wrote, Dear Recovery Show, I just heard of your podcast from a friend in recovery. She said it was for people whose lives have been affected by an alcoholic with Al-Anon principles. Your first podcast I listened to was on compassion. Then I listened to one on hope. Two things I lack in my recovery. Now you have me hooked. My wife is my qualifier now. I'm no stranger to Al-Anon and Al-Anon principles, as my children are both recovered addicts, so I've been blessed with many of the tools a 12-step program has to offer. I'm also blessed to be working two programs, as I am about two and a half years sober now. I totally get the three C's. I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. My children blessed me with this knowledge about 10 years ago. I am going back to Al-Anon meetings again to search and regain my serenity. My wife and I drank our first 38 years together. Now I'm sober. My wife supports me, but she's still going to drink. I feel I have a 50% share in the I didn't cause it department. My wife did not ask for my new sober life. I struggle with this a lot. I've always said when my life becomes unmanageable, I would go back to Al-Anon meetings. I'm so happy I'm doing that again now. I felt 
like I was doing all the right things except going to meetings. It wasn't working. I have no idea if my wife will ever stop drinking, and I'm also scared to death about what would happen to our lives if she did stop drinking. It sounds crazy, no? I know. One day at a time. But still, that stinking thinking about the future creeps into my head sometimes. Do you know of anyone who might have this problem, too? I'm grateful for Al-Anon, and I'm very grateful I have found your podcast, The Recovery Show. Today, I'm working on hope. Hope without expectations. Thanks thanks for writing, Eric, and sharing your experience. I wanted to respond to, are you crazy to be scared about what would happen if she stopped drinking? And I, I say, no, that's not really crazy, because there probably would be you know, a significant change in your life, and change is always a little bit scary. When my wife was in residential treatment and she was going to be coming home, I was a little bit freaked out because I didn't know what it was going to be like because things had been pretty good. And then, you know, she comes back. Who knows what's going to happen, right? If you're listening and you feel like you connect with what Eric wrote, anyone who might have this problem too, write with your experience, strength, and hope, and we can share it here. Thanks, Eric. Robin wrote a comment in response to episode 284, which was acronyms and alliterations. She writes, So thankful for these helpful tools of acronyms and alliterations that I can carry with me. This was my first time listening and so grateful that I found it. Can't wait to hear the other episodes and appreciate all your links and references. Thanks, Robin. That was a fun episode. Rachel wrote in response to episode 383 with Laurel S. Thank you for this episode. I began attending Al-Anon two years ago, and it's one of the most beneficial and healthy choices I've made in my life. Your show is a part of that, so thank you. I just wanted to share some feedback and hopefully have you pass this on to Laurel, how helpful it was to hear her story. And I absolutely passed it on to Laurel already, Rachel. I'm in the process of getting a divorce from my husband of 31 years. I did every single thing I could to avoid this, but I finally accepted what I stubbornly would not accept sooner. My message to you and Laurel is that one of the things that stood out to me the most was validation of the abuse and caretaking that happens in some marriages like ours. My home group is my lifeline, and they are wonderful. al stories on YouTube are extremely beneficial as well. The humorous and humble way some speakers share their stories has aided my recovery. But there are times, maybe in an effort to keep things lighthearted, that I feel a false equivalence can be subtly pushed in meetings. That in trying to teach compassion for the alcoholic and acknowledge that we Al-Anons also become as, quotes crazy as the alcoholic, I've sometimes felt like the message was to understand that my attempts to survive the abuse was equivalent to their bad behavior, and any denial of that shows a lack of compassion for the alcoholic and a lack of awareness of my part in it which would then slow my recovery. I readily admit trying to manage, de-escalate, and control him, which failed and certainly brought out bad habits in myself. But I've already struggled with second-guessing my judgment, so this feeling has made it a little challenging at times. So it was validating to hear a story that simply stated the facts of what was happening in Laurel's life. I believe she has compassion for her ex-wife, but it is brave to admit how we're wronged. It can feel humiliating to be abused. It is a delicate 
balance of speaking the truth of what happened while also accepting our part, no more and no less. I still love my soon-to-be ex-husband, but I deeply struggled to admit it to myself that he was obviously awfully abusive and did great harm to me and our daughters. We have yet to have pity parties about it. We were strong, took care of him, but finally we are taking care of ourselves. Thank you for allowing a story that acknowledges the pain and struggle and second-guessing that living with alcoholism can create. And thank you, Laurel, for your courage and strength. Your recovery is inspiring. Rachel. Thanks, Rachel. I think your statement here, accepting our part no more, no less, really, for me, captures the, the core of balancing compassion for the alcoholic with compassion for myself and recognizing where my behavior was crazy, where my behavior was inappropriate is, is really important for my recovery. And I don't feel that recognizing the ways in which I contributed to some unmanageability in, in our lives. I don't feel that that diminishes in any way the impact that the alcoholic in my family had on our lives as well. Yeah, I don't know. That's just my my thoughts at the moment. Thanks for writing, and, and thanks for raising those questions. Mary left us a voicemail also responding to the episode with Laurel. Hi, my name is Mary, and I live in upstate New York. And I cannot tell you how important it was for me to hear episode 383, Laurel's share on same-sex alcoholism and marriage. So often I need to read conference-approved literature and find it a way to make that apply to my circumstances because I am also in a same-sex marriage living with an alcoholic who is just one year in recovery. So much of what she said resonated And I thank you for having the courage to air this episode. Thank you, Mary, so much for letting us know how that episode touched and supported you. Patrick wrote, Dear Spencer, I'm so impressed by your last episodes. They really touched my heart and soul. Losing a parent or losing both parents is something I really fear to happen, not only because I am in recovery, but as a live event itself. And you are facing this at the very moment, so I wish you both love and strength of spirit. You mentioned the song Seasons of Love, and you talked about it at the funeral of your mother. When my parents were married for 40 years, we, children, grandchildren, husbands, and wives, sang together the Dutch version of this song. It brings up great memories, and it brings up the same questions. I know that one day I will be standing there talking about my parents, and I hope I will have the same strength and vulnerability as you have. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick, for writing. And thank you for bringing me that image of the children, the grandchildren, the husbands and the wives singing that song to your parents on their 40 years of marriage. It's a beautiful image. Thanks. Anonymous 
wrote, Thank you so much for your show. I've been in Illinois for nine months now, and your show has been such an incredible lifeline to me. The detachment pamphlet says that in Al-Anon we learn not to create a crisis and not to prevent a crisis if it is in the natural course of events. How do I know if I'm creating or preventing a crisis? My life up to this point hasn't given me a clear understanding of what I'm responsible for when it comes to other people. For example, my qualifier's mother thinks that my qualifier is drinking and driving again. She wants me to call the police so they will pull him over and breathalyze him to check. To me, that feels like both creating a crisis and trying to control his behavior. But she says that I'm preventing him from facing the consequences of his actions if he is drinking and driving and that if he kills someone, it will be my fault. Have you done a show on the topic of what it means to create or prevent a crisis? For a lot of us, I imagine our family lives growing up were in constant crisis. Oh, whoa, a lot of stuff in there. My first sponsor gave me a definition of enabling which is getting between somebody and the consequences of their actions. So when I look at this thing that your qualifier's mother wants to do, it's not not getting between him and the consequences of his actions. That would be, what's an example there? That would be like if you were both in the car and he was driving and he got in an accident and you quickly switched positions. See, that would be getting between him and the consequence of his actions, because then it would look like you're the one that created the accident, not him. Presumably you're sober at this point. Okay, just, you know, it's a hypothetical. Calling the police is trying to force consequences. It's definitely trying to control, and it very easily could create a crisis, because whether or not he's actually drinking and driving, he's not going to be happy that you did that. And I don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get, but it could very easily be a crisis. The consequences of his actions, if he's drinking and driving and if he kills somebody, that is his fault. Okay? It is his fault. It is not yours. Don't let his mother gaslight you into thinking that it is, because it's not. Finally, no. I I did a search on the site, and in 380-some episodes, there's a few that the word crisis shows up, but none of them are really about this idea of creating or preventing crises. So that's a good topic idea. Anybody interested in co-hosting on that? I work a lot better when when I can have a conversation, I think, than when uh, I'm doing it solo. And that's it for this week in the listener feedback section. Thank you, Kathy, for coming back on The Recovery Show with this topic of leaning into faith. I found myself digging into this a lot further than I might have expected to, so thank you so much for that. And we'll close with your third song selection. The last song selection is Losing the Plot by Alanis Morissette, which you can listen to at therecovery.show slash 384. I love her music. Her songs speak to me so much. This song gave me chills the first time I heard it. It reminds me of the internal struggle of letting go and then picking it back up again before I truly ask for my higher power's help and surrender to their path for me. So some of the lines are, I am losing the plot. I am grieving the end of superwomaning. I have laid down my cape as though I haven't risen like a phoenix from a thousand deaths. I'm exhausted, Midas. 
reigniting a hunger that typically fuels those of us still searching for something outside ourselves. Thank you for listening. Please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.